0: Let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We've been going through a Philippians together. Our title has been Always Choose Joy, and we've kind of gone through the book of Philippians, and we've kind of gone through the first several, uh, first chapter. We're already into chapter two, um, and yesterday, last week we kind of really hit chapter two in the beginning of it with a very deep, very in-depth kind of theological section that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And, and man, it was good. And I, I said last week that it was hard to kind of figure out like what to hit and what to not hit. And, and I'm excited to kind of jump into it with you again this morning. But kind of our theme verse, which is weird, I know is not in Philippians, but it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. It simply says, always be If you remember, Paul writes this whole letter under house arrest, and yet he chooses to be joyful. He chooses to do these things, and he does it because in a lot of ways, he doesn't let his situations or his circumstances dictate his joy. He might let it dictate his happiness, but he doesn't let it dictate his joy because he understands something that that we really want to hammer home throughout this entire series, and it's simply this, uh, although the feeling of joy is an emotion. We're not denying that. But the foundation of joy starts with a choice, and you choose joy by choosing Jesus. So no matter what your situation is, no matter if you're literally like Paul, under house arrest, which I don't believe any of you are, we can choose to be joyful. We can choose to look at the lord and focus on him all that he's done all that he's doing and allow that to be the joy that fuels us to allow that to be the joy uh that is our strength as it says in scripture and really allow it to be something that even though we're going through maybe a hard season in our life we can still have that joy that that god has for us so this morning we're going to be looking at our text is again going to be in philippians 2 I said earlier we're going to read every verse, every word out of the book of Philippians uh, together throughout this series. So this morning we're going to look at Philippians 2 starting with verse number 12 and we're going to read through verse number 18. So here's what Paul writes. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence... so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you for this time. God, as we look at these things together, as we begin to study in a little bit more in depth your word, as we kind of go through verse, almost verse by verse, and we look at these things, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate things. That your Holy Spirit would just show us things. Some of these scriptures, Father, are maybe words that we've read several times, or maybe hundreds of times throughout our lives. But God, your word is alive, it is active, and I pray that in that way, new things through your Holy Spirit would be birthed in our hearts and our lives. As we look at these things together, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, here's the deal. I've been here now um, about five and a half years, I believe. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, five and a half years now. And I've kind of begun to learn a little bit of what it is to live in the Denver metro area. Now, remember, we came from Albuquerque, so it was a little, it's a little bit different. It's still kind of elevation-wise, we're fine, but, but there's some differences in the weather and the people and situations and things like that. And I have noticed something, that there are seasons that are very interesting in the Denver area. And we're in a season right now. Listen, this is, I'm not talking about fall, you know, summer, winter, spring. That, that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? These are different seasons that I have observed. And we are in a season right now that some of you would say last all year round, Okay. <laughs> But I have discovered this is the season for this particular thing that happens quite a bit. And again, most of you may, and I wouldn't probably argue with you even, that maybe this is a quite a long season, okay? This is what I like to call pothole season. Yeah. And I mean, like, the thing about this, like, like, I've been places where there's potholes. Here. You like, you could lose your car in one of the potholes. I mean, and, and I'm driving around, and I don't like potholes, okay? Some of you know this, some of you don't. Like, when we had gotten here, we, we God, did, God did. The enemy did not want us here, okay? Just so you know. Like, when we were traveling here, and the very first time, like, we, to get here, we hit a deer and totaled our car. About a year or two in, we decided, let's go on a family vacation to South Dakota. We want to go see... Um, big faces on rocks at Rock, uh, Mount Rushmore. And we were in a massive accident where I could show you pictures of the car. It'll scare the living snot out of you. But we were fine. We walked away. It was amazing. Scary, but amazing. And I remember we had just gotten home and we were driving somewhere and, and we don't usually take my car because it was total. We don't usually take my car on the highway. And I mean, we're, we're already scared to death to be on the highway. And, and I, and and we'll remember this, man, we hit a pothole on the highway and, and it scared us half to death, you know? So I, I have a very negative, like, I don't like potholes and we still don't, you know, we'll be driving around, watch the pothole, watch, you know, like I said, some of these potholes are large and in charge, you know, but here's the deal. Here's what I've learned. When we look at this particular scripture, as we begin kind of this section, there is a pothole that we need to look out for. Okay. Now, here's what I believe about this pothole. If we don't understand this scripture, the way it was intended, and in the context that it was written, and the way Paul wrote it, and all those sort of things, I promise you, you're going to you hit this pothole, and it's going to be harmful and cause some damage. And so this morning, before we really get into what I want to talk about, in a lot of ways, I want us to look out for the potholes. Okay, there's some potholes here in basically Philippians 2, the second part of verse 12 and verse 13. We're going to read it together, and then I want to break it down. Because I want us to know where the pothole is in this verse. And you go, Aaron, there's a pothole here? There is. And here's what I've learned about this pothole. I've seen people hit this pothole that don't know Jesus at all. I've seen people hit this pothole that know Jesus semi-well. And I've seen people that hit this pothole that knows Jesus really, really well. Potholes are non, they don't care who you are. They don't care what kind of car you drive. Potholes will come out of nowhere and cause some damage to your life, spiritually speaking. And I want us to see this pothole together. So here it is. Philippians 2, the second part of verse number 12, all the way to verse number 13. Here it is. It says this. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Did you find the pothole? Did you find it? Because you'd go, really, that's a pothole? Yeah, it can be. And then we're going to take a few moments to really look at this together. The pothole here is kind of hidden. The pothole here is one of these things that the enemy will take and he'll twist. The enemy is so good at that, if you don't realize that yet. He'll take the goodness of God, the truth of God, and twist it. And in this verse, we see that sometimes. And it's right here in this very first part. It says, work out your own salvation. Work out. Okay, so we're going to break this down together. We're going to look at every section here. And see what God wants us to see so we miss the pothole. The first thing, what we want to do as far as this understanding is we need to work out what God has worked in to you. Because when we see this word work out your own salvation, what we tend to do whether we mean to or not is we have this thought that if I am good enough, if I give enough, if I serve enough, then I will kind of earn, our salva- or earn my salvation. And that is not in any way, shape or form what Paul is writing here that is not congruent with anything Paul has ever written or will ever write in the New Testament. What Paul is talking about is something that we talked about several months ago when we talked about the series Brand Spanking New. We talked about the difference between basically the idea of regeneration and sanctification. Okay, Why was this so important? Why does this pothole scare me so much? I almost did a whole series about it, and so I'm going to refresh your memory. What Paul is talking about here when he talks about the idea of working out your own salvation is not regeneration. Another word for regeneration that you usually hear in the church is the idea of being born again. That's what your word Jesus used. When he was talking to Nicodemus, he said you need to be born again. Remember, if you remember, if you don't go back, you can. The, the stuff's online, regeneration is something that only God can do. It is a momentary thing. It is when we become a new creation in Christ that is not what Paul is writing about here when he's talking about working out your own salvation he's not talking about the moment where he accept Jesus and behold everything that was old it becomes new that's not what he's talking about what he's talking about here is the concept of sanctification and if you remember sanctification is a journey it's a process it's not something that only god does even though he's a part of it it's something that we work to do together one of the major lies that people tell and accept about christianity is the fact that they can they don't always understand the difference between regeneration and sanctification they don't understand the idea of being born again that that's god's thing And then sanctification, and they confuse them. And so they do things like this. Well, if if I would just do better here. If I would work better at this, if I would do a better job here, then I can somehow earn my salvation. And this is a slippery slope. And again, you go, well, I've been saved for a long time. I know we're saved by grace. I do too. But at times, you know what I tend to do? I tend to try to live my life in a way, not maybe to get my salvation, but to get God's attention by the way I live. I'll pray things like this. God, you should do what I want you to do because I have done this for you. It's dangerous. And instead of understanding the grace of God and embracing that moment where basically the old becomes new, we're born again, we become kind of trapped and in bondage of trying to work out our own salvation. That's not what Paul is telling us to do here. I put on here, what what Paul is basically asking us to do is to work out what God has worked in to you. Okay? So this is a process, this is what we're doing here. This is not a a faith that is based on works, it is simply based on grace. But there is work to be done in the sanctification process. So what God has worked into you is only what he can do. Only he can do that. But our job now is to let, God has worked in for that to work out in the way we live, in the way we respond, in the way we have our our, our lives in, in contact with other people. So we have to make sure that this pothole is not one that you hit into because it can be so easy to trip. It can be so easy to get your tire blown out because we tend to look at things and go, I have to earn it i got to earn it. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying work out your own salvation to earn it. He's saying work out your own salvation to grow and to become more who God has called you to be. There's another part of this that could be a pothole, and it's this. We need to focus on our own salvation, not on everybody else's. It says work out your salvation. I like to help everybody else work out theirs. That's fun, isn't it? It's fun to go, hmm, look at Joey over there. I bet you he needs to work out his salvation in this area. It's not what Paul says, okay? We work out our own. Now, listen, do we need people in our lives to partner with us to grow? Absolutely. Scripture tells us that iron sharpens iron. But listen, we also need to remember what Jesus said. Make sure you you get the plank out of your eye before you're worried about anybody else's, okay? Okay? spec so a lot of us will focus so much on everybody else's salvation that we miss to focus in on our own start there first because here's what i found that pothole can cause a lot of issues for people and all of a sudden you're so busy helping everyone else that your own salvation i use the words that paul uses basically your own growth with christ is suffering because you're so focused on everyone else. The next thing, we're breaking this verse down. Next thing, do this with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm sitting there afraid? No, 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 no. What Paul is wanting us to understand here is when we are on our journey of sanctification, that it's serious. It matters, okay? Like, listen, we love to focus on things that are very temporal, we're great at temporal things. We're not always good at eternal things. This is an eternal thing that matters. So what Paul is saying here is like, focus in on this. Make this a priority in your life. Your growth in Christ matters. Why do I harp on this? Because I'm bored? No, because I know how important it is. I'm glad that most of you, if not all of you, have experienced the regeneration of Christ. That born-again experience, that's awesome, that's amazing, but we're not done yet. We get to become more and more like Jesus, and we need to make it a priority in our lives. A lot of us say, you know what, I'll make it a priority as long as it's number 10 on my list, and that's just not going to work. It's not going to work. So when he says do this with fear and trembling, he's basically saying that I want you to do this in a way with a serious regard. This is important. This is important. And then the final thing that we can get in is, look here, God works in you. Okay? Not the other way around. God works in you. God wants to to transform you through this process so that God can use you to make an impact in all these areas of your life and of everyone else's life. God wants you to, to be taken from where you are and move you along on your sanctification journey. And he wants to help you in that. He wants to partner with you, but he wants to do that together with you. But so many of us, we think we can do it on our own. We can't. We still need God. And God wants to be a part of that. So now, listen, now that we understand the potholes, now that we understand that we need to, to really get the context of what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi in this section, now what I really want to focus in on is how do we do that? It says, If I'm going to work out my salvation, what is it going to look like? I like road markers. I like things that we can look at as a family and go, okay. Because this is what we we see here is Paul's like, okay, if you're going to work this out, here's some some things we need to look at. Here's some ideas that we need to see that'll help us to kind of, you know, let us know where we're at on that journey. Some of them are hard. Some of them are easy. But it's important that we're a part of these things because these are these ideas and thoughts that now Paul is going to give us that are very practical to help us work it out in our hearts, and in our lives. The first one he talks about, do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing. Isn't that lovely? I'm sure we, none of us have this issue whatsoever. I can just move on to number two, right? I'm assuming by your silence, you're either asleep... Or you're not agreeing with my statement because here's what i'm gonna say listen i need to hear this if you don't so i'm gonna say it anyway everything without grumbling without complaining or arguing you know what's interesting about this portion of scripture a lot of theologians a lot of bible scholars they think that the reason paul used the particular words that he used in greek was because they mirrored some of the words that we find in deuteronomy when, when basically Moses was writing about the children of Israel. Ugh. You know why? Because you know what the children of Israel did time after time after time? They grumbled, they complained, and they argued. And here's, here's the thing. Here's what I believe Paul, because I believe this was on purpose. Here's what I believe Paul was wanting us to see through this. Okay, hear me here. You go, is, is it really that important? Yeah, it is. We're going to see why it is in just a minute. But here's what I've learned grumbling, complaining, arguing. Remember what God promised? He said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I'm going to bring you to this promised land. And He says, it's going to be this unbelievable place flowing with milk and honey. That's, I, 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 for years I've tried to come up with a modern interpretation of that I just can't, just know it's really good milk and honey and yet these people, listen who saw plagues I mean saw amazing things saw the, the Red Sea part and they walked on dry land these people and please do me a favor don't start picking rocks up to throw at them because we do this too these same people grumbled and complained and argued. They said, man, we should, we should get us a new leader and go back to Egypt. They saw. <sighs> the ground's dry. Let's walk across. They saw all those things and grumbled and complained. And listen, they missed the promised land because that generation had to die out in the wilderness. They never got the promise. Their children did, but they didn't. And that blows me out of the water. This matters, folks. When we grumble, when we complain, when we argue, we literally can miss promises of God. I don't want to do that. And and here's the other thing. So we're going to look at this a little deeper because it's so important. So often often grumbling, complaining, and arguing reflects a couple things reflects a couple of things the first thing it, it's pride it really all boils down to pride because when we argue gumb, grumble and complain you know it usually comes out of that it's usually because we feel like you know we know better i know best or 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 we feel like we shouldn't be treated in a certain way I, why don't you listen to what i have to say why don't you put the focus in on me and 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 all those things and so pride is so devastating to our lives folks And we all deal with it. We all have to fight it. We all need God's help. But I'm telling you right now, if you are a person that you look at your life and you're seeing complaining and grumbling, nothing's ever good enough. There's probably a major element of pride in your life that God wants to help you to see and with his help eradicate. So pride's the first thing. The second thing, it really betrays a real trust in God. It betrays a real trust in God. Because remember, and a lot of times when you go all the way back to the Israelites, they're complaining because things aren't going the way they think they should. And so they don't really trust God. First they start with pride. They think they know better than God. They think they know better than leadership or whatever it might be. And then they move into this concept of of basically not trusting God. You go back, you look at those stories, and over and over, there's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. Remember, these people, it's like, when it comes to water, that blows me out of the water. Did not mean that pun, sorry. Okay? Blows me out of the water. They're worried about what they're going to drink when they just saw God move water away from itself. And so they could walk on dry land. I think God's got the water thing under control. But yet, that's that's what complaining does. That's what arguing does. That's what grumbling does. Sometimes it can rob us literally of what we've seen God do and what we know God can do. It's dangerous. And so for us to work out that salvation in our hearts and our lives, the first thing Paul says is basically you got to stop the grumbling. you got to stop the complaining. you got to stop the arguing. you got to do it all. Because if you don't, you're going to have some things that you're going to miss out on. Because then he continues. The second thing that we look at, God, or that, that Paul encourages us to do, is to be children of God in the mist. I love this. Children of God in the mist. Listen to what he says. He says, You got to stop complaining. You got to stop arguing. You got to stop all these things so that you may be blameless and innocent. And here's what it says Children of God without blemish in the mist of a crooked and twisted generation. Okay? Now listen, I don't know about you, but I think it's very clear. We live in a very twisted and a very crooked generation. But here's the deal. This is not anything new. This really isn't anything new. If you go back and you begin to study the history of the Roman Empire and the things that this church here in Philippi was dealing with, guess what? You're going to find some very, very similar things And Paul is writing to them and he's basically saying, listen, you are in the midst of that. You are a part of that that generation. You are a part of it. But but listen, Paul doesn't say to them, listen, we realize we're we're living in a world that is difficult. We're, We're living in a world that's twisted and crooked and broken. Go run away and hide until you die or Jesus comes back. That's not what he tells them to do. He tells them to be children of God in the midst. I don't know how good we are at that. I think we're sometimes really good at being children of God in the separation, but not in the midst. We're very good at pointing fingers at the crooked and and, and the despicable and those things in our generation. But that's not what Paul and what God has called us to do. Listen, it's in your notes. God's word to us today is not, well, you live in a crooked and twisted generation, you better head for the hills. He is saying, he is calling us to be a transformed people in the midst of this generation. He says, listen, you gotta, we're going to put all this together, but we need to remember, it, 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 he's building here. As he's going through, he starts out and he's basically saying, You're gonna work out your salvation. You're gonna be on this journey of sanctification. One of the first steps, you gotta stop complaining, you gotta stop arguing, you gotta stop backbiting, you gotta stop being silly. You need to start letting those things be gone out of your life so that you can become blameless, so that you can be something in the midst of this. Because here's the deal if you're a complainer, if you're an arguer, if you're all those things, You're going to be very much accepted and be very normal in a twisted, crooked generation. You're not going to be blameless. You're not going to be innocent. Now, he's not speaking here of forgiveness of sin. What you have to understand is the context that Paul is writing this in. He's wanting us to understand, listen, if you're going to look different, and we're going to get into this a little bit in a minute. I don't want to get too far ahead of me. If you're going to be different in the midst of this generation, then some things have to be different in the way you live your life. It has to be. Because otherwise, yeah, you're in the midst of it, but you're being transformed by it instead of us being the transforming thing in it. We never see in Scripture, ever, where God says, listen, go and hide. In fact, he says something different, and Paul picks up on it, and the next statement that he makes. Because Paul not only tells us to be children of God in the mist, but now he takes it even a step further. And so what he begins to talk to us about is shining or shining bright. Look at Philippians, the second part of this verse, of second part of 2.15. He says, Among whom, now among whom, who that's a crooked generation, among whom You shine as lights in the world. Okay, remember, I'm breaking this up, but you gotta remember, it's all one, almost like one sentence, one paragraph that Paul's writing here. He's saying basically, yeah, your job isn't to run away from this, your job isn't to to blend in. Your job, as you grow and as your sanctification process is going on, is to be a light in a dark place. One of the things that, that my family enjoys doing is camping. And one of the things that we used to do, be, you, know, um, early, you know, before Easton, and we're going to try to do a little bit more than a little bit older now, is we, we used to go backpacking. We used to love to go backpacking. And one of my favorite things about backpacking was, was basically you would get away from everybody. You know, you put your backpack on, and you're off, you know. And, and for some people, I know that's like this, the worst thing in the world you could possibly do. We enjoyed it, okay. And one of the things I always loved about backpacking, especially because you kind of do your thing, and is, is you would get away from the city. And I didn't necessarily dislike the city, but I liked the fact that there wasn't a lot of light when we would backpack. You know, like you go to a, a campsite, no problem, you know, if you enjoy that, no problem. We, we do that too, we enjoy that too, but you know what, there's, there's a lot of light, you know. But when you're backpacking, I mean, sometimes you can literally be in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody within miles of you. And then it gets dark and you look up and, I mean, you see some lights. You know, it's simple, it's easy. It's even, you know, something you hear all the time, but it's just so true. The darker it is, the brighter the light. The more crooked, the more... The more perverse quite honestly that our generation is becoming is just a more of an opportunity for us to shine brightly but here's the deal if we've run away if we're not in the mist we're not going to be very good much use for anything but all, and also if we're not bright if we're not shining if we're not different and distinct then we're not going to make a big deal either but here's the deal here's some here's some things to remember uh, as we understand, you know, again, I know this is simple, but it's just easy to, to kind of remember these things. I just simply said, what does light do? What does light even do? It guides, okay? It guides. Be, be a person that when you shine your light, you're guiding people to Jesus. Okay, hear me, hear, hear me, not, not to a particular church, not to a particular domina- denomination, to Jesus. People need Jesus, Amen. okay? So guide them to Jesus. Now, can a church and things, even be a part of that? Absolutely. Awesome. But it's Jesus. Jesus. We guide them to Jesus. Next, it illuminates danger. Okay, we talked about potholes. Okay, you know, or, or other things. You know, when you got a light or a flashlight, you know, it doesn't matter how dark it is. It'll help you see the danger that may be present. Okay, we need to be a people that brings forth that, that, that brightness and, and illuminates danger. Next, it brings cheer. I mean, think about it, you know, I mean, we, we do this now all the time, you know, it's like well, a lot of people, they have fire pits in, around their house, you know, and what do they do? They go out in their backyard and they build a fire. Why? Because they want to smell like smoke for the next three days? No, I mean, you know, I kind of make you feel happy. You know, light brings cheer. It really does. And then the final thing, it brings security and safety. Listen, I don't know about you, but I've talked to people in our world that don't know Jesus, and guess what they're looking for? Those four things. Guess where they can find it? In Jesus. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. We've talked about this before, but he also called us the light of the world. Isn't that interesting? So not only does Jesus call himself it, but he calls us to the same thing. So listen, our job in this world, as we are growing and as we are maturing, as we're working out our salvation, is not to go away and hide in the basement because our world is the way it is. Our job is to be a light and to shine brightly in the midst of this generation. Number four, the next thing he talks about, he says, basically, you need to hold fast to the scriptures. Hold fast to the scriptures. We've talked about this a lot. We've looked at this. It's so important. We know that, you know, and we have to understand that if we don't have a foundation of God's word in our life, we're going to have some issues. So we must have it. We must have it. I've said this before. I'll say it again because I've had people say, well, well, how much should I read the Bible? The answer is simple, more. More, okay? You say, I, if I say to you, how much should I read the Bible? How much do you, I read the Bible five minutes a day. Awesome, read it 10. I read the Bible once a week. Awesome, read it twice a week, okay? Whatever you're doing, read it more, okay? Just do that. Just start there. Read it more and allow it to be something that helps you. Listen, I put this in, in the notes. We all need to find ways to help us increase the way we hold fast to the word of life. So in whatever way you're in doing that, just find a way to increase it. Okay? And there's so many ways to do this. And there's so many great ways to continue to hold fast to God's word. But whatever you're doing, just find more ways to do it. And you will find that it will transform your life. It will transform your walk with God. It will really help you as you begin to really work out this salvation in your life. So listen, whatever you're doing, just do a little bit more. Just do a little bit more. And then do a little bit more. And then do a little bit more. And allow God's word to be something that you hold fast onto. Because here's the deal. The enemy is not going to just sit by and basically let God's word stand unopposed in our world today. He is going to stand firmly against it. And if you don't know what God's word says, folks, you're going to very easily fall for the lies of the enemy because the enemy is a good liar. He's real good. And he's real convincing. And sometimes we have to just look at him and say, I'm sorry, this is what God's word says and this is what I believe. This is what I'm going to hold fast to because it's the authority that we have in our lives. The last thing, number five, the last thing that Paul really kind of writes as he kind of closes this section. Next week, we're going to kind of start a new thought, a new idea that Paul writes. But basically, last week and this week is kind of part one and part two of the first part of Philippians 2. So Paul's wrapping it all up here, okay? We have to be willing to give it all. We have to be willing to give it all. We're going to read this scriptures together because it's very important that we understand what Paul is saying here in the context and all those sort of things. So he says this, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also, uh, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me now for us today this idea of a drink offering is somewhat strange and different but to his readers then he, they would completely understand it immediately because drink offerings were actually a part of both jewish cultural life and sacrifices and also pagan and so when he says this we need to kind of look at the context of the idea of a drink offering but also the context of when paul is writing this and how we have the benefit of knowing what happens at the end, you know, kind of the rest of the story. But Paul and the church in Philippi don't. Remember, Paul, when he's writing these words, is under house arrest in Rome. Now, what we know is that Paul does is released from this imprisonment. He goes on another missionary journey, and he has about a year or so. We're not quite sure on the timing. But he is freed, and he continues on. And then eventually... Later on, he is again imprisoned by Rome, and he is beheaded. But when he's writing these words, he doesn't know that. And the church in Philippi doesn't know that. And so he says, listen, if I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering, because you know what? He very well may be. Now, what's a drink offering? In this time, basically, what would happen in a sacrifice? Let me kind of give you the, the, the more of the Jewish situation that would happen and in, 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 in that we see in the Old Testament. But again, this was also a pagan type of thing. If you were going to give a sacrifice, you could possibly also give, at the same time, basically a drink offering. What that would usually be would be usually something like wine or olive oil or something valuable, it could be also perfume as well. And so what they would do is you would maybe bring an animal to sacrifice at the time. And so you would bring your animal and as the animal was being sacrificed, placed on the altar and burned, you would then take the extra step because you didn't necessarily have to do this. You would take the extra step of taking your drink offering and pouring it over the fire, over the sacrifice. Now, here's the thing. Same idea with with, when you sacrifice the animal, but, but you ain't getting that back. You get what I'm saying here? Okay? A lot of times they would do the sacrifice, they would take the meat and they would use the meat to, to serve the, the Levites and the priests and other things like that, depending on, don't want to get into the, the details, but they would do that. But listen, when you pour out olive oil or you pour out perfume or wine over fire, it's gone. You ain't getting it back. And so the concept of this was an idea of total and complete sacrifice, it was gone. It was giving it all to God. And what does Paul write here? He basically says to his friends there, he says, even if I'm to be poured out, remember, he doesn't know that he's going to be released. They don't either. And I bet you as they're reading this letter, it's like all of a sudden Paul kind of walks up to them and goes... And slaps him across the face and goes, Hey, listen to me. Hear me here. I might not make it out of this. I could die in this prison. That was a very real possibility. But he says, Even if I have to give it all, even if I'm poured out, listen to what he says. He basically says, Be joyful. He says, I'm joyful. You be joyful. He brings it all back to choosing joy. How can he choose joy? He chose Jesus. But more than that, Paul was able to do something that is so important to our lives. Listen, if you want to continue to grow in your sanctification, you're going to need to get this understanding. Paul was able to see God's greater purpose being worked out in all that was happening. When he thought about that, it brought him joy. And he wanted others to share in the joy he was experiencing. Listen, Paul's not sitting there going, I just just can't wait for this thing to happen. I'm just so excited. One of these days, somebody's going to chop my head off. No, that's not what his joy was. That's not what he was asking them to be joyous about. He was basically understanding that God had a purpose in all of this. And it brought him joy. If he was never imprisoned in this time, we wouldn't have this letter. In fact, Paul wrote not only this one, but three other letters that we now have. A part of the canon of Scripture. Paul was joyful because he trusted the plan of God in his life. Even though there were times where it was hard. Even though there were times where death could be just around the corner. And maybe he was going to be poured out. Paul said, I am joyful. You should be joyful too. Because God has a plan and his plan is perfect and it's good. One of the things that can rob you so quickly... Of your growth and that sanctification sanctification that God wants to do in your heart and your life is when you stop and you see a situation that you don't understand or that is hard and you basically say, God, you don't know what you're doing. God, your plan isn't perfect. Guess what? You basically go all the way back to the first thing we talked about to an extent and you start to grumble and you start to complain. And you basically say, God, I know better than you. And God, you don't know what you're doing. And quite honestly, God, I don't trust you. Paul's brilliant. He circles it all back around. And he says, Listen, if you're going to work out your own salvation, these are parts of these things. These are practical things that you need to understand. And it's so awesome that not only does he bring it all back, but he brings it back once again to always choosing joy. Because here's the deal let's be honest. Like, I want to serve Jesus, but I don't know if I always want to be a drink offering. <laughs> you know? Like, can, can I just be honest with you, because I'm going to be regardless? Sometimes I love you. I love every single one of you. You guys mean so much to me. But there are sometimes I don't want to be a drink offering for you. Not that that should come as a shock. But you know what? It's like, okay, I, I, you know what? I, I, will, be, I will be a some other offering, but not a drink offering. Not pour it all the way out. Because sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I want to focus on Aaron. But you know what changes hearts and lives? Is when we act like Jesus and we're willing to pour it all out for everyone else. And here's what's so beautiful about God. No matter how much you pour yourself out, if you'll go to God, he'll always fill you back up. You see, we don't live under the old covenant anymore. Thankfully. See, in the old covenant, you give the sacrifice, you pour it out, it'd be gone. But the new covenant's so much better. The new covenant says, you know what? You pour yourself out. And when you do, I'll pour back in my Holy Spirit and my power, and my authority, and my joy, and my kindness, and my love. You know what becomes problematic in our lives? And I see it over and over and over again is when instead of pouring out, we say, no, this cup belongs to me. You know what happens when you leave something in a cup for a long time? It gets rancid. It's gross. Think of every like, really bad like, sixth grade science fair project things grow on it and it's not good and sometimes in our lives can I just be perfectly honest and frank our lives are kind of gross you know why we're not pouring out enough we're saying this belongs to me to my cup and my contents of the cup and all of a sudden we look down and eventually it's like Ew. and nobody wants what God has for them in our cup what we're supposed to do is be a people that are constantly pouring out and letting God constantly pour in where did we start this morning working out our salvation working out what God has worked in isn't Paul amazing See what you can do when God's anointing is on your life? It's alive. God's word's alive. And he brings it all back. And Paul says, you know what? If I pour out, be excited. Be excited, because I'm excited. And here's the deal. Paul didn't pour out right there. Now, he poured out in many, many, many ways, but not in that ultimate way that he was speaking of as far as his life at that point. But you know what? He did eventually. Paul is asking us through the, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be a people that joyfully, not grudgingly, not uh, but joyfully. Because we know no matter how much we pour out, God will always pour more back in. Press down, shaken together, running over. Can, we do me, can you do me a favor? Let's, let's close. Let's close our eyes just so we can focus. I want to ask you a real simple question. How are you doing working out your own salvation? You know, we go all the way back to the beginning real quick. Okay? It's not about you as far as your works. That's not what Paul is talking about. We're simply allowing a partnership to take place in our process of sanctification. We're working at our own salvation. But listen, listen, are you, are you, are you focusing on that? Are you allowing that transformation process to take place? Are you focused on your own salvation or on somebody else's? And look, sometimes that can be like, you know, I care about my, my wife or my daughter or my kids or my husband or whatever. I'm not saying, and Paul's not saying, that we shouldn't be concerned with others. He's simply saying that we start with our own first, okay? Our own first. Are you doing it with a sense of urgency and importance? And then finally, are you allowing God to work in you and through you so that his will and his work can be accomplished, Those are the first questions we need to answer because really we can't answer the idea of of if we're working out our own salvation, if we haven't gotten those right, if we've missed those potholes. So if you are in one of those potholes, it's okay. God wants to reveal that to you and help you so whether you just need to keep going and, and miss the potholes in the future or God needs to, spiritually speaking, give you a new tire so you can continue on in your journey, God is here and God wants to do whatever you need if you'll let him. But for the rest of us, how are you doing working at your own salvation? Are you complaining? Are you grumbling a lot? Which really, again, reveals the idea of pride and a lack of Trust. Have you been a person that, that, that basically because of the world we live in, you've just kind of run away? And You haven't been a person that's been willing to get into the muck and the mire and the filth, quite honestly, sometimes and be a child of God in the mist or be a light in a dark place. Maybe, maybe the scriptures just haven't been as important as they need to be in your life. And you need to, once again, get into those and allow God's word to to transform your life. And you need to increase that. And maybe you just need to be willing to give it all. You need to not be a person that holds on to their cup and says, I've done enough. You're not the type of person that basically says, I just want to do just the bare minimum. But no, you're a person that says, I will pour it out joyfully because I know my Jesus will fill me up again. I know where the fountain is, and it's Jesus. And throughout all of these things, we choose him, because he is the one that made a way where there was no way. And he is the one that when we choose him, joy will come because he is literally joy in our hearts and our lives. So I don't know, there's a lot there, I know that. And there may be several things that as we pray together and conclude the service, where maybe you need to kind of let God do some work in your heart and in your life. But God, wherever you are, God desires to help us in that. Because remember... Remember, this is that sanctification process. This is the partnership that God wants to partner with you if you'll partner with him. So partner with him in this and allow yourself to grow. Allow yourself to be a person that is literally every day working out their salvation to the glory of God so that they can be poured out over and over again. So no matter where you're at, will you just pray with me? Father, we love you and we come to you right now. And God, I know there's a lot here, but God, your Holy Spirit can illuminate and show us and specifically pinpoint areas in our hearts that you want to deal with. And so I'm trusting that your Holy Spirit is doing that right now, knowing that he's doing that right now. And Father, when that happens, it becomes up to us and whether we're going to allow that to take place. And so Jesus, I pray, no matter where we're at on our journey, no matter where we're at in this whole situation, we talked about a lot, I know this morning, that Father, whatever work you need to do, God, I pray for myself and I pray for each one here that we will step back and we'll say, we'll yield to you and say, God, whatever work you need to do in me, begin that process and let me partner with you to change my heart and my life so that once again, I can be more like you. Once again, I can be a light in a dark place. And if, Father, you can change my life and my heart so that I can be used to make a difference in our world. Father, we need your help. God, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do in our hearts and our lives And Father, once again, we come to you and ask, will you continue to help us? And we know you will. We love you and we thank you. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, listen, I hope you have a great week and you got to remember we, we we're not done here okay like god still wants to work through you this week and whatever god has kind of placed on your heart i pray that you would just allow that to be something that you focus in on through your prayer time and and remember like we talked about i didn't mention it earlier but but you know as we're going through the series together you know i want to encourage you when we've gone through a section like we just did second uh, or, or philippians two twelve through 18 Spend the week. Read 12 through 18. It'll take you literally 30 seconds or less. Read it every day. Now listen, I'm hoping it takes you a lot longer than 30 seconds because I hope the Lord speaks to you and you're open to that through those things. But spend this week, okay, once again, reading that again and letting the Holy Spirit really illuminate some things in your heart and your life because it doesn't just stop here. God wants to continue to work throughout the week with you. Okay? Awesome. Remember, if you want a shirt, you can sign up there. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.